0: Man, welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode three hundred and fifty-seven. Jason Lingren is with me, and a gentleman who is going to talk about law is going to use the pseudonym. Be freely anyhow. Welcome, Jason,
1: and a very rainy good morning to you. So yeah, um, we're we're
0: getting on a run of legal ideas, but there's a reason for that. So many people are, let's just put it mildly, upset about what's going on in the world, and so many people have forgotten that you get what you demand, you get what you stand up for in, in the current world that we exist in. And so with that in mind,
1: let's do the lead in here, Jason. Today, we, each man or woman, can discuss growing into our role as master of our servants with a focus on America for the most part. We will get into holding our public officials accountable and we will get into defending ourselves against criminal accusations, mainly using powerful tools such as affidavits, public records requests, challenges to jurisdiction, and improper venue. Challenges that are based squarely on your opponent's failing or refusing to follow the law as it is written. Dispositive motions, motions to get bad attorneys and judges yanked off of a case. Sanctions, discovery strategies, and so forth. We will not be teaching things that get you in trouble, like common tells, making you look like a sovereign citizen or a terrorist. Patriot mythology, proven paths to failure or misery. So no, you do not collect $10 trillion. All
0: right, so basically we are finding a common thread in many of our recent let's just call them legal episodes, law-based episodes that are coming around to the conclusion that the law is usable as it exists. If you know how to use it. Uh, Welcome B. Thanks. Is that, is that where you're, I mean, we've had a number of guests saying there's nothing wrong with the law. The problem here is it's being misused.
2: Yes, I totally agree. There may be things here and there, little minor things that I think could be adjusted for clarity, but, Overall, it's a beautiful thing. It's well written. And by and large, the main problem is that our public officials are ignoring the law and doing whatever they want, which hurts us.
0: Well, we've, we've entered a time where I think most of us have zero faith in officialdom. And in my lifetime, I've seen things as simple as a city council or even my dentist go from a very professional environment where it's pretty clear you're dealing with someone who's been trained and they're acting in a professional manner to what we're all experiencing now. But let's, be, let's hit the ground running. What is due process? So the way I look at that is you read the law.
2: You see what the law prescribes is supposed to happen step-by-step, and who's supposed to be doing something. You have certain authorized individuals who have to write a certain document. They have to submit it to a certain person. It has to have certain characteristics. It has to be sworn or affirmed or whatever. And all of this, this
0: prescription of a pathway of how things are supposed to go by law, that's due process. So if someone wants to appreciate what you just said, clearly there's a way things are done. Um, Are there examples? A lot of people get hung up because they think, well, I don't know anything about the law. I can't write a document. And I think that's far from the mindset of a few generations ago. As a matter of fact, when I first started as a webmaster, I wrote every contract that I ever used. Um, That was before I walked away from contracts, but um, let's, let's get to the point here. Are there examples that people can get a hold of to get them on their way? Examples like somebody has written out a flow chart or something. No, like, uh, you know, like an affidavit, someone wants an affidavit. They've never written one. That's what I'm getting at.
2: Okay. So an affidavit, I wouldn't really categorize that as, as due process as much Mm. as a statement. It is stating the truth. So, an affidavit comes from you, comes from your heart, from your own personal knowledge. You know, maybe you, whatever it is that you're stating something about, maybe your family, I know that I am my my son's father. So, when some agency acronym tries to say they need proof of something, well, first off, I don't know why they want me to prove anything to them, but let's say that uh, I want a passport for my offspring. I can state unequivocally, I know who I am. I know who my offspring is. I can say without a doubt, I'm the father and nobody can refute that. So I would stick that in an affidavit. It's not really due process, but it's a statement of a fact.
0: You know what, Jason, why don't you jump in here? I've been up all night and I'm feeling a bit like a dull knife.
1: Well, To go back a little bit with what you put in this intro here, there's something really important that I want to have constantly reiterated because it seems like people just won't let it go. And that's this whole Patriot mythology, sovereign citizen stuff. Like I said in the last episode we did, there are people out there claiming to be the god emperor of the postmaster general and all this other crazy stuff. And they're having you do all Mm -hmm. these funny things with names and paperwork and I know that there's some validity to the corporations and all that. But in reality, if you're dealing with just a simple case of something and you have to deal with the courts, the laws are the laws. And this applies to everybody without doing anything silly or making yourself look like uh, you're putting paint on your face and wearing a Viking helmet. (laughs) Good point. Yeah, I pretty much figure that if my eighth
2: grade neighbor is not going to understand, they're going to raise an eyebrow. They're going to say, that dude's weird. Or if the guy under the bridge is not going to get it, then I need to do something. I'm doing something wrong. I don't need to go to any kind of weird stuff, as you put it. I'm me. I can say what I need to say in a simple way and it not come across strange. Think about you're going to put whatever it is that you're putting out there. Think of it going before a jury of your peers. You know, you say peers in quotes, but these are these are people who are largely brainwashed or they don't care. Think about what you're saying going in front of them.
1: (laughs) Right? Well, I think the other thing we could address is the laws of as they are written are fine. Mm -hmm. Corruption is another thing. So if you don't actually understand the laws as they are written, that then can be a problem and they might try and trap you, as they do to so many people. So if you actually know how to stand on your own ground within the workings of the actual functioning systems, you can actually go after them. You got a bad attorney coming after you. Well, make a bar grievance. You got a judge being a total shithead. That's fine. There are ways of dealing with these things. And and that's what I just want to point out to people. This is for everybody.
2: Yes. So while an affidavit is not doing anything, it's a statement. It's not actually causing action per se. You can use that affidavit as a very powerful tool when you, reach out to do something like i say it doesn't do anything but there's a there's a subset if it's a special if it's a certain kind of affidavit which is alleging a crime that's a criminal complaint and back to due process there are certain people who some man or some woman sitting in the role of a judge a magistrate a grand juror they have a duty that when they when it's made known they, when it's made known to them that a crime is committed, they have a duty to act on that. So this affidavit going into their hands invokes their duty by law. There's a certain procedure that they have to follow,
0: and they're required to. They signed up for it. It's their duty of office. Well, that's, that's kind of an important point because I think a lot of people think if I do this, I'm going to get into this legal fight. But what you're pointing out is there's a procedure in place. It's not yes. about the fight. It's about properly submitting the things that this procedural system needs. And once that's done, the procedures happen without a fight.
2: Yes, exactly.
0: And one thing I think that's,
2: that's confusing for people, and uh, it's very commonly confusing, and it's hard to people don't tend to hold their officials accountable on just a random Tuesday. They only get interested in reading all this boring stuff about what these people are doing wrong after it comes and lands on their heads. And so the confusion comes in is, but he did this to me and that's not right. And they think they're getting themselves off the hook. There's actually two completely separate things going on. One is the accusation against me and one is me noticing their crimes totally separate. So if we can keep that in our minds, keep it distinct, that really helps to move forward.
0: Can I ask it? I don't want to get too far off track, but when the courts closed and everybody knows why, do you feel like that was a violation of everyone's due process? I do. Okay.
2: When you say closed, do you mean, uh, related to uh, yes. health concerns?
0: And, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, they, they. Don't have any kind of legal basis for that. So the, the reason I asked that is because then there must be processes that can be put into motion, which would force that to be addressed in some way. And the reason that that's on my mind is like it's like a week ago, uh, taking care of my mom. So I'm stuck in front of a television and I heard, oh, the courts are reopening <laughs> And I started thinking about, you know, what what's going to happen here? Are we going to live the rest of our lives? Will all the complaints for everything that just happened plug the courts till the end of time? But um, anyhow, I don't want to get too far off track here.
1: And then there's the other aspect of it with the mail being backed up, as we were discussing previously. So they, they did two things. They shut down the courts and then they were having bad excuses of things not getting delivered, which is still happening to this day, by the way, that everything since we are in our one, we won't keep throwing these terms around but the health concerns it's the excuse for everything it's the excuse for bad service at a restaurant it's the excuse for places closing earlier not being open it's it's like you got to be freaking kidding me how long are you going to milk something for this is well over a year and a half at this point and they're still just saying the same nonsense it's like guys get your shit together it's just the flu
0: not only that, people are signing things that they're not even supposed to. I, I've had things delivered to me where someone had the nuggets to sign where I'm supposed to sign. It says, COVIDious <laughs> Minutius" <laughs> And it's like, what's going on here? But anyhow, we're going to pull off track if we keep commiserating.
2: What I like to do in this situation, I need to get something before somebody. And they're saying, court's closed, whatever. You can't come in here unless you harm yourself, whatever. So... In Texas, I'm fortunate that we have, it's straight up written into the rules of civil procedure. You can look up Texas rules of civil procedure and rule 21A, subsection A, subsection two. It puts email and fax on par with hand delivery and mail. Wow. So yeah, I can just send them an email. Now you'll have to look at that in different states and different countries. You have to see what is the local rules. Now, these rules are binding on them, not me, but I know that they're binding on them. And so if I if I want to hold them accountable to that, I know there may be another fight going on that may cause another layer of me holding them accountable if they, as they so commonly say, oh, we can't file something that, that we don't receive fax filings or email filings. Well, yes, you do. Rule 21A says you do. Anybody can look in their own local rules of civil procedure and look for service methods. That phrase will lead you to the rule that says how things are required to be served to each other in a court context.
1: And that might even be more powerful than, say, a Zoom meeting where they're going to mute you if they don't like what you're saying.
2: Exactly. You get to say it all, you get to put it all in writing. And then, oh, that's another thing. We have the idea, we, before we really, into this deeper um, we have the initial idea that we write up a document we send it we get it into their hands and now there i'm done and we don't realize nothing's going to happen with that document and then we feel betrayed when it seems like it was ignored but the judge is not going to take a look at your document he's not supposed to he's supposed to wait until there's a hearing because there's an opposing party there's somebody on the other side that needs a chance to be heard as well and so The proper, again, back to due process, the way that this should work is you get your document in there, you give a copy to the opposing party, and they have some certain amount of days to respond. And then there's a hearing, and then the judge will preside over the hearing. Well, if you never set your your motion or your objection, you never set it for a hearing, nothing's going to happen. It's just going to sit there. And man, I wish I knew that years ago. Because I felt like everything was getting ignored. Probably a lot of people feel like that.
1: So you have here your state's constitution and the federal constitution. So this is important to understand what the differences are, depending upon what situation you're dealing with, because there are going to be variations or even where you have to go to, right?
2: Yeah. So the constitutions, they will uh, lay out for us. This is kind of like basic bottom level. Everything is built on that. So if you see in your constitution that your government, your public officials are not allowed to do certain things, then whatever rules they've come up with, statutes, codes, anything that's beyond that, that they've tried to build on top of that, but they didn't have the right to begin with, well, then you can challenge that.
1: And do you see happening too often, maybe That uh, they're violating the actual procedures, and if you don't know those things, you obviously don't know that they're doing it in the first place. Yes,
2: they do violate, but I haven't seen a lot of traction, people getting a lot of traction with challenging the constitutionality. I know it happens, but I think that the, the best traction we get is by holding them accountable to their rules, the things that they know that they're supposed to be doing, as opposed to, hey, the rule itself is bogus. I don't, I don't see as much traction with that personally.
1: And that brings you to the next point, the codes and rules of both civil and criminal procedure on both the state and federal levels. So once again, you need to know what it is that you're dealing with in the first place, or they can, they could trample all over you.
2: Oh, yes. And they will on a regular basis. It's so unfortunate. I see it day after day. People that don't know what the law is requiring these public officials to do and don't realize that These public officials are so far out of line and, you know, just by the public officials saying to the people, some acronym or some bunch of letters and numbers, and then that somehow is supposed to be sufficient notice of a crime or something, and they drag them in to talk with a prosecutor. Well, I'm sorry, due process doesn't involve anything about you dragging somebody in to talk with a prosecutor, but people don't know this, so Yes, you're exactly right. If people don't read this and understand it, they're they're not going to know when they're being stepped on.
0: You feel like the abuses are worse and like we've heard so many times, do this, do this, do this. They're going to, to try to resolve something at like a municipal level. And we've been told time and time again that you're pretty much going to get abused until you get above that. What do you think about that? Is it, is it, are you more likely to be abused in the lower courts, local, municipal, that kind of thing than you are once you get above that? Well, I think that's true. I also have to recognize that
2: that's where uh, the lion's share of the interaction happens anyway. So, most of the time, you don't start out with an accusation against you from one of these higher levels. It's usually happening at the munis- municipal level, right? So, I guess it stands to reason. But, yes, they do seem to just blow off everything. Uh, <laughs> you know, you have. I had a judge tell me one time, I put in a motion for an interlocutory appeal, and this judge presumed to deny the interlocutory appeal. Interlocutory appeal is when the party says, whoa, hold it, pause. I don't think this is going right. I'm going to reach out to a higher court and see if the higher court will weigh in on what this judge is doing, because I think it's judicial error. So, an interlocutory appeal is for a higher court. It's not for him. But he just presumed to go ahead and deny it. <laughs> I said, Your <laughs> Honor, you don't have the authority to rule on,
0: to hear this or rule on it. Well, it's denied. So, your he literally Honor, didn't know. Was, was he being a dick or did he just not know?
2: I have no idea. It comes out the same way. Harm. <laughs> so, I said, Your Honor, I move for your immediate disqualification for bias. Denied. I'm sorry, but a judge is not allowed to rule on his own motion for disqualification. That's one crime after another. But if people don't know, they're not going to hold him accountable. How did you deal with that? Criminal charges. Filed a criminal complaint against him. If you
0: don't mind, was there there an outcome? Let's see. That one rolled up to
2: one disqualified judge after another Mm. uh, and ended up being stalled before the Texas Supreme Court for, I believe, about 18 months. And then everything just poof went away.
0: All that goes on a permanent record to make a pun, right? (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) So did judges lose their positions as a result of these kinds of things? Because this is exactly what we really need to drive home. You didn't have to uh, go become the postmaster or whatever. You just knew the proper procedures and said, hey, you're out of line and I'm going to do something about it. So what were the consequences? Did these people have to lose their positions? Do they have a black mark on their record now? Like this is a great example is what I'm getting at.
2: No, I'm not aware. I haven't gone back to look and see if he's still sitting as a judge there. I would imagine he still is, but I would also imagine that if he tries to get a promotion that pops up and keeps him from getting a promotion that he otherwise might have been in the running for, because like you said, it's a
0: black mark. We've heard this kind of thing before, but there's also a chance someone else didn't dig what he was doing. There could be more than one mark there. Um, I wasn't going to say <laughs> three strikes and you're out, but uh, as far as we've heard, if a judge gets too many of these things, all kinds of bad stuff can happen. Yeah, that's true. We can even do a constitutional removal of a judge
1: for showing a pattern of unfitness for office.
0: Are they insured? Is that another person who's insures a judge insured by an insurance company? You know, I've heard that. I've heard
2: that there's a bond that they they have to have a bond that goes with their oath of office. I've never pursued that myself, but yeah, I I would think that's a perfectly legitimate direction to look into.
0: I was going to make the pun that we all know who the highest authority is, meaning the insurance company, but it's a poor, poor pun. (laughs) Um, So do you guys want to move on from due process? Yeah, sure. Okay. Here it comes. What is a crime? How does crime get reported? Okay. So, We've touched on this a little
2: bit already as as part of what a due process is, but there are certain people who have a duty, a duty of office to act on a crime when it's made known to them. For example, a grand juror, it's a beautiful thing. We have, I, I don't know if everybody in different countries probably envies America for grand juries, but we have the ability to take to our grand jury something that otherwise maybe our Officials would be trying to shield each other from prosecution, and the grand jury is you and me. It's just a group of people that they have pulled together, and they call it impaneling the grand jury, and these people are regular Joe, so they don't have any particular interest in shielding public officials from prosecution. In fact, they're, they're maybe more likely to find guilty a judge whose paperwork comes before them wow, can you believe this judge did that? Yeah, I can. They did that to my niece last year. And you've got all these people who, (laughs) more likely than not, let's just say that they're unpredictable in the eyes of these public officials. These public officials work with each other every day, so they kind of are sure that they can protect each other and kind of, oh, we don't need to deal with that. So when we report a crime, we send it to magistrates, And grand juries. That's the way that the law directs us to send it to them. Now, they say that we should go take it to a police officer. Oh, you need to go report that to the police. Thank you very much. And you go report to the next magistrate with another criminal complaint on top of it that says this other magistrate over here refused, they failed or refused to act on it. So now he's got a criminal complaint against him, and the stack grows.
1: Have you seen this happening where it's just kind of going from one to the next and nobody wants to deal with it and they think that they can just keep blowing you off because they're untouchable kind of a thing?
2: Yes, they do feel untouchable. In fact, I had one judge in a municipal court. You're talking about municipal not being uh, respectful of the laws. I had one judge uh, called me into his courtroom and he was furious because I had filed criminal charges against him. And he wanted to know just off the record, who did you send these criminal complaints to? Uh, (laughs) And
0: a lot of people could ask that judge the same thing.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I, I told him, oh, lots of people. I've sent it to this magistrate, that district judge over there. I've sent it to this district, that district attorney over there. I sent it to the mayor. I sent it. And. The mayor? Yeah, he's a magistrate too, your honor. So then I kept on, and he's like, look, look, I don't care. Uh, I'm friends with all these people. They're, none of them are going to hold me accountable. And I'm like, you're really expecting that your court recorder person is going to cut all of this out and save your butt because, wow, are you really saying this right now, that you just believe yourself to be
1: untouchable? He's saying it with his words. Wait, this dude was saying this in court? Yes. <laughs> yes. Holy well, this is, this is where... Which one of our, our people are saying, I think it was Dr. Graves said, always have your own court reporter.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, I had two devices recording audio. I had a third one that I carry in there that looks like a, an audio recorder. And then they, they say, oh, you can't record. Oh, thank you. And I turn it off. And then I've got the other two that just recorded that crime.
0: I, you know, I want to bring that up. We've heard so many times where people are simply trying to get a record of what's going down and they're told, you can't film this. You can't record this. If you want to, you got to ask our permission. Is any of that legit? I mean, doesn't a person have a right to whatever? Of course. I mean, we're the men and
2: women that we graciously allow them to administer our justice system that we've set up. Where in the world would they get the idea that they have the right to tell us not to keep a record of it?
1: Well, this comes back to the whole, it's we the people, they're they our servants, they're here for us, not the other way around. Exactly. And, and over the decades and decades of, I don't even know what you want to call it, I guess corruption, that this arrogance has set in that they can just do whatever the hell they want to us. And it's like, no, 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 no. You're here because we need you to administer, not the other way around.
0: Yeah, Exactly. Well, it's it's a bit frustrating, though, when I logically take apart what we've just said here, because that almost certainly means that almost no one or probably no one has ever called them to account, you know, for, for this kind of thing. You've got to imagine that if one or two people did make a big deal out of that, that those signs would be removed and people saying that would stop saying that. I mean, yes. am I wrong here, B? And they do.
2: That's exactly what happens. It's very rare that one or two people will stand up, it's unfortunate. I don't know why people don't, but for the rare one that does, those signs come down.
0: Well, it certainly slipped within my lifetime. I mean, you know, I inherited all my father's legal papers and the things that people in the neighborhood were doing together with this, that, or the other thing showed how astute they were at what they were doing and how they were following the rules and you just don't see it anymore, but you know, this This is exactly what we're going through now. How can it be that nobody in the country has said, you guys can't just shut down the courts. And, you know, it it feels like nothing's been done. That could be wrong. We don't know what's going on anywhere. I'm just saying it's frustrating when you logically work out what we're laying down. Yeah. So crime, reporting crime. We've got you and me.
2: You want to be the one or the two that does this, that stands up and says, hey, What do you mean I'm not allowed to record? Of course, I'm allowed to record. What are you talking about? So then that becomes, you, you look in your local penal code or some call it criminal code, and you find the crime that matches their behavior. Now, if you're not familiar with it, you might have to read through it once or twice and you'll see, oh, this is all about sexual stuff, child sex trafficking. Okay, that's not it. Okay. And then you find it over here and it says official oppression in Texas or in some places it's official misconduct. When one of your public officials has a duty, and they fail or refuse to do their duty, that's a crime. So it's right there, ripe for you to just pick it. And by, I mean, like copy and paste from that offense and put it into your document. That's your criminal complaint. And you're very simply taking everything that's like subjunctive. And if they do this, then they would be committing the crime of that. You just convert that all into past tense and say, this is what they did. They did this, this, and that. Leave all the rest of the language as is. You just copied and pasted, here's the offense, and you stuck it into your document and you
0: turned it into past tense. Is it a bigger deal that some of these folks are sworn officers of the court? Is it a bigger deal? Yeah, I mean, is there, you know, if somebody deprived somebody who is just walking down the street, would it be a lesser offense than people who are sworn officers of a court doing a similar thing? Because they. Ah, I see what, what you mean. Yeah. Yes. And that crime only applies to the public official. You would have to
2: have some other different crime that matches the guy walking down the street. Maybe it would be harassment or something else. But for a public official, that's where you come in with the official misconduct or official oppression or abuse of office or misappropriation of public funds. He's paid to do this job. We, the people, paid him, and he took the money, but he's not doing the job. So you you just read through there. You find a crime that matches. For public officials, they're going to be different ones that match.
1: And this can have a snowballing effect too, right? Like, for instance, uh, you're having a problem with a judge, so you're doing procedure against them. And, of course, you're going to have to go to other magistrates to deal with this. Well, if they choose to ignore it because it's a good old boys club and they all hang out and have drinks every night together, well, you can just keep doing that. And sooner or later, you're going to have so much against them that it's going to have to be addressed at some point because it's going into the record no matter what, right?
2: Yes, you absolutely can. And it starts to be a lot of work. I mean, I've got a life. I've got other things to do than just hold this one judge. And now it becomes two. Now it becomes five. Hold everybody accountable. That's a lot of work. So what I like to do is be strategic about it. If I find that this particular magistrate isn't doing his job, I'm going to go and do a little research and see, well, when did he get elected to that office? Who did he run against? Was it ugly? Do they still like him? Are they in some, maybe they got into a, maybe now that person ran for office in some little podunk town, but it's in the same county. So I could take it to him. And, you know, you do a little thinking about who it is that you want to receive this. And maybe there's going to be some ugly politics go on and maybe they're all going to have some awkward moments around the water cooler. And maybe this uh, hassle that they're trying to bring at you,
0: it starts to become less worth their time in the light of all the politics. I like that you stated that everyone has a life because that's part of the impression when we start hearing these legal ideas, people are thinking, my God, am I going to be drafting up legal documents for the next 10 months of my life? Right, yeah. For me, I didn't have anybody
2: to ask questions of. I I spent an inordinate amount of time reading a lot of boring stuff in laws and, and procedures. And there was, I mean, for years, I, I wished that there would be somebody that I could just follow their trail, that they were pioneering a pathway and know that I would be not getting myself into a jailable situation. <laughs> what You did this document. That's wrong. You should have done this. I'm throwing you in jail. I, I didn't want to get in the situation. So I, I did a lot of research myself and I, and you're right. It can be very time, um, very much a time drain, but it gets to a point where it doesn't take time. And I think that if people will simply learn a few basics, you know, we've talked about some of these common tools and learning a few basics, it goes to almost template fill in the blanks kind of a thing. You have the right, you can go and copy and paste straight from the penal code or the criminal code. And if you just keep it really basic, you don't need to Talk about that you're a man on the land. You don't need to convince anybody of a Supreme court, anything. You don't need to show that something relates to something else. That was a case back from 1900s. None of that matters. Simple facts. This man has a duty to act on a crime. I made him aware of a crime on or about this date. He did not act on a crime. It's super simple.
1: Now you have uh, magistrates and grand juries here in your notes. What about grand juries do we need to cover?
2: Grand juries. So before I will report anything to a grand jury, I will double check that they, in that particular jurisdiction, have an oath. And uh, everywhere I've seen, they have it. But it says that they, when when they are made aware of any crime, they will inquire into it. So typically the pathway that they're finding out about this is through... a a district attorney. The district attorney assumes that that's the only way anything is ever going to get to the grand jury, but you can still put your own document together and write up an affidavit, swear it out before a notary. Uh, and, And maybe I should revisit that just a little about logistics, but you put this in the hands of the grand jury and now they are required to follow their oath. When they stepped up to become a grand juror, they swore that they were going to inquire into every crime of which they became aware, and you just invoke that duty.
1: What's the procedure for that? So, if you're getting an affidavit, all legal, all the things you got to do, what would you actually do to get that into their hands? Like, do you have to go through the, the the judge at that point to make sure it gets over, or is there a different procedure for that?
2: No, you don't. You just uh, you're going to put it to the address of the prosecutor, the district attorney, but it's going to say to the attention of the grand jury foreman. So you'll put your affidavit together. It's a sworn complaint. You've stated the crime. You've stated who did it, when and where. I have reason to believe. And I do believe that this person on or about this day in the county of whatever committed this crime. They did this, this, that, and you put some bullet points in there. statements of fact, no conclusions, no legal conclusions where you're assuming that this means, therefore he is a no, none of that. Super simple, just the facts.
1: And because it's an affidavit, does that mean that they have to address it legally? Yes, they do. With a time limit, right?
2: I don't see anything about a time limit. When I look at their oaths, they're sitting for probably six months. And what they sometimes will do is they're not really sure they hold on to it. Mm -hmm. And that puts the accused in limbo until the last day that the grand jury is sitting. They have to deal with it during their timeframe of when they're sitting. It doesn't have to be within a certain number of days. I think it commonly
1: would be. Well, this is once again, like what Alphonse is always saying, the power of the affidavit. You just have to understand that that is, it's kind of like your broadsword to go in there and start taking swings at the situation.
2: Yes. And the affidavit, like we were saying earlier, it doesn't do anything on its own, except in these few situations. If the affidavit is a statement of facts about a crime and if that affidavit is presented to someone who has a duty to act on crime, then that's when it, it triggers these duties, right? Other things that you might have an affidavit about, it it's really goes more to evidence. And so then it's useful in a motion or it's useful in an objection or when you're raising exception in the courtroom or things like that.
0: As a sworn, truthful statement that cannot, yes. be, that cannot be, I don't know, gone against once it's Once it's not been rebutted, then that's like gospel truth. In other words, some judge can't just say nope, don't like your affidavit. Exactly, that's exactly right.
1: Has a judge ever tried to do that, where they just ignore an affidavit and they just like no, I'm not, I'm not allowing that? Like, does that happen?
2: Oh yeah, yeah, it does. And so then you'll have to say you'll have to give the judge say, Your Honor, I move that this court take judicial notice of the fact that there is an affidavit standing here, and when you have the judge take judicial notice. It is a special kind of notice, and it is only for something that is a fact. You're not arguing something and hoping to convince the court of something. You're informing the court of something that's already a fact.
1: First-hand observation. Going on right now, we can all see this.
2: Yes, exactly. Your Honor, this court will take judicial notice that there was already a hearing on the 3rd of May And that's not something that's to argue about. It's just a fact. And maybe he didn't realize it. Maybe he did. And he's trying to blow it off, whatever. You're bringing it and highlighting it and saying, this is a fact. Or, your honor, this court will take judicial notice that the official court record contains no charging instrument.
1: It's a fact.
0: I want to ask this. We've seen other examples where people are trying to stand up for themselves And they're simply trying to get a document out of their hand to the clerk or wherever it goes in the courtroom, and they're being told no. Does the court have to, I mean, if you're in a courtroom and you try to submit, does a court have to take the document, whatever it might be? The court needs to follow what's called the rules of evidence. And if you're
2: trying to submit your grandmother's recipe, it doesn't line up with what the requirements of an affidavit or any kind of admissible evidence so yeah they the judge you you started to ask about a clerk and a clerk would have a different rule than the judge judge gets to decide if something is admissible evidence or not clerk doesn't get to decide that the clerk just has a duty to file stuff and index it and organize it and keep things numbered in a way she can find it so we're back to procedure yes so what i would do with that is file criminal charges against the head clerk the one who is the boss over the, the one who is refusing. And sometimes, of course, it'll be the same. I like to go above because uh, then it becomes like this, like awkward moments in their office. They get to have the, the yelling and screaming at each other, you know, hey, come into my office. I need to talk to you about this. And they get to have those moments. And it's not just me telling them that they have a duty. I have already filed criminal charges and now their boss has to stand and answer for the office not fulfilling their duties.
1: It's an accountability thing. Yes. But does it occur where the, the judge will tell the, uh, the clerk, no, don't accept so-and-so's affidavit? I suppose that could happen.
2: The judge is not really looking at that point. This is something that, like I said, this is not before the judge. It's not before any court. This is something that's going into the record, which will then be like the, the serving bowl of what gets addressed in a court hearing. So you have to bring it up. You you've, you file it in there, and then later in court, you're going to be the one that says to address it.
1: Gotcha. I seem to remember. I think it was Alphonse saying that he was having trouble getting certain documents filed, and that's the situation we're basically discussing now. I think that I think it was Alphonse.
0: Well, it was a couple people, Jason. What was going on is they were trying to file uh, documents into the court before a hearing um, or being in a court situation, and. The person at the window was saying, sorry, uh, we're not filing that. Uh, I do find that if you try to file something before they've created
2: a court case, then they don't have anywhere to put it. And yeah, you could go to some other, like a county recorder or a county clerk where they're filing whatever they're filing, all sorts of random things. And you could put it in there. But it's not really going to have any effect. It's not going to do anything for you. You you really want to wait until they've actually created a case. If you're trying to deal with this inside of a court case context. Now, it's possible that you're trying to stay out of their courts, in which case you're addressing, let's say, the roadside officer as a man. And you're going to him and saying, you have harmed me. You know, maybe you're writing a tort letter to him which is like a notice and demand, notice and opportunity to cure. You're giving him a chance to do the right thing. Hey, here's how you harmed me. Here's what I expect you to do about it. Make me whole or be sued. So you're going to him as a man or her, you know, the, the, the officer who wronged you. And in that case, yeah, you could do an affidavit, but it wouldn't be going to a court clerk. The court clerk is filing things with a case number. And sometimes I don't really even want to put the case number on there. I have in the past been very hesitant to write a case number or include it in my document because at first I was feeling like somehow that gives it legitimacy and it's completely illegitimate. So I was you know, really against that. So I'd stick a post-it note on the front with, here's your case number and I'd stick that, please file it under this. But at least that gives the court clerk the ability to stick it into the court case.
0: That is an interesting idea. And since you went to the lawless law enforcement, I'd like to push forward to where we're going here, but B, if we could, I want to ask you, after we do the bullet point for other kinds of wrongdoing, how you would proceed, and maybe we can just use the example of a lawless law enforcement officer. But the next thing we're going to cover here is what about other kinds of wrongdoing? Lawless law enforcement officers, unethical attorneys, unfair judges, or simply standard street criminals. So can we, let's just say you got pulled over and some lawless, that you know, the, the police officer did a clearly wrong thing to you. Can you just kind of outline how you personally would choose to proceed? Yeah, there are different ways
2: to respond to different kinds of wrongdoing. So, you know, everybody, you look up and down the street and every single man or woman you see is capable of committing a crime, but they're not all capable of committing a violation of the attorney rules or the judge rules. Judges have what's called the code of judicial conduct. So if you have an unfair judge, well, that's a violation of one of the canons that he has sworn to uphold. He has said that he's going to follow these canons, and that's his he he put his name on the line there. So when he signed up for that job, he put himself in a position to follow all the canons in his code of judicial conduct. And if you catch him violating one of those canons, then you have a different way to respond to the wrongdoing. That's what I mean. You categorize all these actors. Some of them are law enforcement officers and they are breaking the law. So you can catch them in terms of committing a crime and you can also go look at the the rules that a peace officer has to follow. And you can go after, you know, in most states it's called POST, POST peace officer standards and training. So they they certify these officers to do certain things and In order to get that certification, they have to agree to follow certain things. Well, (laughs) you catch them not doing that. You get to report them. And same thing with the attorneys, man, these attorneys, unethical attorneys. If you categorize all these actors into here's what set of rules they have signed up to follow and then go find the rule that they broke. Well, then you have a, a special way to report that. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah this comes back and i think jason and i covered this a long time weren't we talking with someone about legal ideas jason where they basically maybe not all encompassingly but they stated that towing someone's vehicle is undefensible and uh, they wanted it in this tax showing that they have no right to deprive you of your property and then impound it and do all these things but that's you know as you're talking about attorneys in my mind, almost most attorneys in the way they're acting, just their job is unethical. Maybe it's not all of them, but, you know, you walk into a courtroom and there's that damn sign on the wall. You can't record what's about to happen to you, in here. you know, or the police officer that's stopping you, an armed man stopping you because you didn't put on your blinker or something. And what's happened right. is most of these things end up being indefensible if, you know how to conduct yourself and then it goes back to what you're saying before you know you don't want to spend your whole life because some jackass hassled you for a blinker exactly yeah so you learn
2: to nip that in the bud by being uh by mounting a a powerful offense and that becomes a
0: really good defense as well just as an offhand speculation how do you feel about vehicles being towed (laughs) it's a crime i mean you got from the aggravated assault
2: they've approached you you know wearing prominently displaying a number of deadly weapons and they're telling you, you have to get out of your property. And then they're going to call up a tow truck and, and they're going to (laughs) go rummaging around through your property. Oh, they call it, they have to do an inventory, but that's unconstitutional. (laughs) We have that's unlawful search and seizure. It's unwarranted and it's unreasonable.
0: And yet a common procedure.
2: Oh yeah. Every day. And then they've, conversion is what they call it when something you steal somebody's property like you know haul it off to a tow yard or something that's called conversion that's another crime one guy one officer after he pulled me over he didn't see my license plate I've got a license plate that's not registered anywhere but he didn't see that because I got my tailgate down and he was so rudely coming up close to my uh, my rear bumper that he couldn't see past the tailgate to see the license plate. And he was calling that a crime. Well, I, my tailgate was down. That's a crime. And <laughs> so after it was all said and done, he had, uh, I believe it was 22 criminal charges against him. Lots of them were felonies. Wow. And he didn't even tow the truck. Other ones have towed the truck and they've ended up with even more. But yeah, this guy, uh, he, he said, congratulations for being the, the most difficult traffic stop of my career.
1: <laughs> and this, right. Well, maybe you should mind your own business and stop being a pain in the ass intentionally. Because I mean, some of these police officers, I don't get it. It's like, don't you have something better to do besides harass somebody about something stupid?
0: Uh, no, that's right. what they've been trained to do at this point. So here's here's one for you. As some know, I was involved with law enforcement in my very young life in San Diego, so I saw a lot of citizen's arrests and how police interact in a situation. For a couple of years, I did that uh, right before I went into the Marine Corps. But um, towing vehicles was a thing that I witnessed a hell of a lot. So I knew the codes in California. And one of the things about tow companies is if you catch them in the middle of towing your vehicle and you know enough to tell them, I demand that you release my vehicle, now they have to do it. And what's ironic is so many people get caught in the middle of the tow and they just argue. And at no time do they demand their vehicle to be released. Well, I had come all the way hmm. back across country in 2016 with my nephew. We'd done like 8,000 mile trip and we were at a beach hotel in down in San Diego in Pacific hmm. beach. And they had this neat little racket going where there was all these we'll tell you signs if you don't belong here. Well, my wife and I were staying there, but they only allow you one car. So my nephew comes in and says, you know, uncle, they're towing your car. And so it's got all our stuff from the trip in it. And I go out and he was just getting ready to drive away. And I said, you know, a bad day for you, bud, release my vehicle. And instantly you could see it go across his face. And he tried to argue and did everything. And I just basically said, release my vehicle. And he did, but it was such a racket because I mean, mm. I think at that time it was hundreds of dollars to get your vehicle out of impound. Oh Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. That's a great nugget. I, I didn't realize that there's a special phrase for that. Great. I, I said it so people can at least go make themselves familiar with, with your area. I mean, it's like a it's like a magic pill. I mean, the, the moment I said it, the guy's face just dropped. Um,
1: <laughs> now, why is that?
0: Because it's illegal and they're putting an escape hatch to not make things get worse, would be my guess, right? They're already illegally depriving you of your property. So if you're telling them don't do this and they do it anyhow, doesn't that make things worse? Wow.
1: Yeah. All right. That's gonna do it for hour one. Be freely. What information do you want to put out there for everyone? Let
0: me interject before you do. We're in hour one. This goes out free to everywhere. You can be overwhelmed in times like these. There's the fair warning. Uh in hour two, you're talking to membership, which at least reduces to some degree the number of emails you receive or however you choose contact. Okay, great. Yeah, I would say Telegram is actually the
2: best way. It's uh, B underscore freely. And you'll find me in Alphonse's group most of the time. It's uh, Alphonse Fagiolo
0: we're uh, starting to see a core of people gathering together that authority probably doesn't want to mess with. We've told the story about Alphonse that we heard through a third party that he was known from state border to state border and we have it on good authority that they actually closed the court to avoid him coming in and blamed it on Covidius minimus. But anyhow, <laughs> there is our one of episode 357, Jason Lindgren and the pseudonymed guest be freely. He's told you how you can find him on telegram in and around Alphonse's core, I'm guessing. And we'd like you to join us all for hour two over at crow triple seven radio.com. That's C R R O W seven, seven, seven radio.com. And we can be pretty open in these legal discussions, but let's, let's be honest. When we get into hour two, we don't have to care what we're saying anymore um, because we can't be censored in the same way, at least censoring attempts can't be made against us. With that said, I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era and apologize for my slow candor. I was literally up all night with a mother who has now been diagnosed with both Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. Last night alone, tried to get out of bed 67 times. So not much of an excuse, but there it is. And I'd like to uh, see you all on the other side. Cheers. Cheers.